You can hear us around the world, streaming 24-7 at safetyfm.com. Streaming live from Taos, New Mexico. Here is Dr. J. Allen on Safety FM. Broadcasting live from the Safety FM studios in Orlando, Florida. Here is your host, Dr. J. Allen on Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. They're consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. Hopefully you're having a fantastic week this week. Well, today is the continuation of the episode with Dr. Tom Conklin as he discusses his career and the timeframes between book to book and what was going on during those times. Before we get into that, let's have a brief conversation on what we have going on here at Safety FM. On August the 5th in Daytona, Florida, we will be having the Safety FM Roadshow slash Workshop. Sheldon Primus from the Safety Consultant Podcast and myself will be putting on that roadshow slash workshop. So if you do want to come down to Daytona Beach, Florida, don't hesitate. We'll be there on August the 5th. Plan, of course, for a full day event here in Daytona. Besides that, I really want to get in here and start having this conversation with Dr. Todd Conklin. This will actually be the continuation and the final episode to this little series here. Also, there's been some questions that have come up in regard to the Rated R Safety Show that I had discussed a couple weeks back. Don't worry. I told you in the month of July, it will actually come in and pop up. We're not at the end of July yet, so keep on paying close attention. I'll let you know when exactly the first episode comes out. Maybe we'll have more than just one episode when it does come out. Anyways, let's get you started right now with Dr. Todd Conklin. With Todd Conklin Comes Again, Part Deuce. It begins in Orlando, Florida, and travels steadily to the west, beaming across North America and planet Earth, and into your head. The world of safety never stops. And now, the Safety FM podcast and broadcast with Dr. Jay Allen. So are you thinking about learning teams during this time also? As you're yeah, writing this, we've been thinking about learning teams a lot. I, I, I should tell you that learning teams, we never saw, I never saw learning teams as anything other than just a tool. And in fact, when they first started, they would have been in the toolbox, the, the, the book two, they wouldn't have been in book one because I just saw learning teams as a way to put together an ad hoc worker centric group of people to understand and explain some kind of operational phenomena, either success, failure, near miss, close call, good catch. And we use learning teams. We, we put learning teams together at Los Alamos because we got together and had a meeting where we had a bunch of really smart guys with the best intention have an accident. And my big boss, the director of the laboratory said, wouldn't it be great if we could just bring these people into a room, shut the door and say, what the hell happened? And I said, well, I don't understand. I can't think of even one reason why we couldn't do that. In fact, let's do it. Did you have HR approval first? <laughs> well, we, didn't, we didn't ask for HR approval. I mean, we, we it's funny. We didn't, we didn't think of it. 
we didn't think of it as an intervention. We thought of it as really a data collection tool. And so because it was a data collection tool, we, we never saw it as a formal activity. It was just something you do in order to get to better understanding of the operational phenomena, the operational upset. And so we never, we never saw it as a, we never contacted legal. We never contacted HR. It was just something we did. And we started doing them. And of course, I mean, the story kind of writes itself. The, the guys loved it. I mean, they loved it. And because they loved it, we got really good data. And the next time we had something happen, the boss said, didn't do that again. So we did it again. And then the next time we did it again. And then I needed to train somebody else so they could facilitate doing it. So because I wasn't enough. And then pretty soon we decided we didn't really need facilitators. We just kind of needed to go. And then pretty soon they just took off. And what's weird, and this is kind of a good thing, but what's weird is is they no longer were exclusively the property of safety. That all of a sudden, operations was doing all these learning teams. Get the workers together, shut the door, ask them what happened, right? And and so now, where once we had a pretty good understanding that we were doing, you know, we did 19 learning teams in a year. But the following year, we don't know how. We, we, we probably did 600 learning teams, but we really never knew how many learning teams we did because they just sort of organically took off. It really wasn't until until Bob Edwards got really involved in his first learning team and, and, and they had had a, an event where it, at his facility and I was there um, with General Electric helping them sort of run human performance. And he sort of took it and he kind of made it uh, kind of a thing. And, and once it became a thing, then, then it became kind of, then HR got involved then legal got involved then it became kind of a, kind of a bigger deal. And, and I remember cautioning Bob, you know, I kept telling Bob it's learning teams aren't, they're not a, they're just a tool. They're a tool to help facilitate human performance. And he, he kept saying, yeah, that's true, but they seem to be more than that. And he was right. I mean, they, they definitely were more than that. And that kind of, that kind of sort of set the stage for better questions. Cause you really do figure out pretty early. Man, I shouldn't say it that way. You do figure out, I don't know if early is the right answer, but you do figure out that the power in our business is not in having answers. Answers are, are not that terribly important. The power in our business is asking the right questions. Now, I have to tell you that Bob has taken this book and actually ran with it as his own. Yeah, yeah. Especially from the classes that I've been in with that Bob Edwards has actually conducted. Now, I have to ask you a question. You did reference on pre-accident, the first one, that you were using a particular publisher that had done other books, but when you get to better questions, you change publishers. Was it re- I didn't change publishers. Ashgate went out of business. Okay. Well, <laughs> or got, got sold or something. I mean, mm-hmm. so CPC picked it up. I think that's who published the second book. And, um, and that was a problem because, because now Guy Loft, who, who took care of Decker, who took care of Hall Nagel, he, he was like our, he was like the guy that sort of hugged us and made us feel good and, sort of took care of us. He, he got moved out. I, I like, I don't think he went with the new company. And so now we're in a company that, that barely gives a crap if an author lives or dies because they're, they're a big academic publishing house. And so they do a lot. And I had really, I had a lot of problems with CBC. Well, one, because they, they really, they, 
they really had a difficult time with version control of the document. In fact, the version that got published was not the final edited version. It was kind of the penultimate. It was either it was either the second to the last version or the third to the last version. And they were doing all their editing and layout work um, internationally. So they weren't doing it in the United States or in Europe. They were doing it, I believe it was done in India. So it was, it was really difficult. That book kind of bugs me because there's lots of, a ton of errors in it that, uh, I mean, I don't think I corrected all of them because I never correct all the errors, but a lot of the really significant errors were pulled from that, but the wrong version got published. So that was kind of a drag. I think they've redone it. So I'm, I don't know. It's, you, the one thing you, you should know, Jay, is you never go back and read books you write. Well, I don't know. You've recently read them. I've <laughs> been yeah. reading them all. <laughs> it's boring when you read them on Audible. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question, because when it comes to the Jenga setup, I was always under the impression that you had watched the big short and it got you excited. <laughs> and then apparently I'm wrong because of how far back this goes. Oh, yeah, no, and, I, think, I think the big short watched me is what I think happened. <laughs> it seems that way for sure. So we started using this. So this is going to introduce a guy named Roger Cruz, who's great. I love Roger. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but Roger. So we used Jenga in the early, early human performance classes, but we used it as a a team building exercise where we used Jenga and we used um, uh, skewers like you'd use for barbecuing those bucky skewers, and we'd have people do exercises where they had to remove the Jenga's and it was kind of a fun little team building thing we did. Um, but out of that, we started actually thinking about Jenga, not as a, as a team building exercise, but really as a, as kind of a, it's not really a model, but sort of as a representation of complexity. And once we realized Jenga represents complexity, then when we would do an exercise where we would um, identify all the conditions that were present in order to make a failure be successful, then I, I started pulling Jenga to, to show, to kind of build this sort of visual metaphor of what a system, a complex system looks like when it's really, really brittle, when it's really fragile. And so we we ran that Jenga exercise really early. Roger and I did it. Uh, Shane always had Jenga, but Shane kind of used them differently. He used them kind of as a, as a game. We started using Jenga to really represent complexity. And then Bill Rigo got together at Savannah River, and he started bringing Jenga and dominoes. So he could show a complex system and a linear system. And those are really actually two very good visual metaphors for either of those systems. And that became really a big part of, uh, of the way we did the instruction. And so the first book, the Jenga stack just made sense because we wanted to illustrate the complexity. And gosh, we've been doing Jenga a really, really, really long time. And other consultants and stuff it picked up on it pretty quickly and it it got a lot of legs but kind of nobody was doing it very they they weren't doing it at all like we were doing it at first but again we didn't we didn't really think anybody else would ever look at this stuff i needed a way to take a room full of physicists phd physicists and illustrate to them the difference between the newtonian classic scientific understanding of the universe 
and the more holistic, complex, adaptive understanding of the universe. And the Genghis deck really carried a lot of water easily. And it was a great and really powerful way to kind of end the class because you'd pull the, the last Jenga and knock the stack down. And then you'd ask this question, like a room full of MIT PhD engineers, you'd, you'd ask them, is this last Jenga the root cause? And they'd all say, no, no, it's a collective sort of failure. This is a this is a complex failure. And we'd actually show the complexity through the Jingus. And we'll be back right after this here on Safety FM. You asked for these and I thought maybe you were crazy, but we did it. And in case you're wondering, stay tuned and I'll tell you what it is. Everybody, Todd Conklin, Pre-Accident Investigation, and along with my friend Jay Allen, Safety FM, we've produced three audible versions of my books. You can listen now if you get your information while you drive down the road or sit on a plane. These books are available, Workplace Fatalities, The Five Principles of Human Performance, and my first book, Simple Revolutionary Acts, are all on Audible now. Take some time, if you want, and download and enjoy listening to the dulcet tones of Todd Conklin reading his own stuff in as slow a fashion as he possibly can. And we're back with Dr. Todd Conklin here on Safety FM. Workplace fatalities is now 2017, so now there's not as much time between better questions and going into workplace fatalities, but there was a four-year gap between pre-accident and better questions. So why did you decide to turn around and get back to the to the writing right away? Because I never mean to write another book. I never even, I never think I'm going to write another book. But Workplace Fatalities, all of a sudden I had stuff to say. And so that one became really interesting to me because I'd just been on this rather horrible project with Alcoa and we went and looked at all these fatalities Um and we went as kind of a team. So we went with their their safety person um, and their HP person. And we traveled around the world and we looked at all these these fatalities. that they Because here's one of the safest organizations in the whole world, um, famous for their safety. Paul O'Neill sort of kind of made his living after he retired talking about how safe our call was. And they had these fatalities. And, and I realized it really quite shockingly that fatalities weren't about a lack of prevention because I was traveling with the people who all day long, every day, 24 hours a day, all they think about is preventing fatalities. They were, they were shocked. The the whole organization was shocked. Um, Managers looked me in the eye and said, you know, I have no faith. We won't kill somebody tomorrow. And I realized, wow, this isn't, for lack of prevention, these guys are the best at preventing in the whole world. They prevent tons of bad things from happening. That the problem was, was not the absence of prevention. It was insufficient controls. Do you feel at this time then, this is where they're starting to come up with the drive to zero campaign? I mean, it sounds almost like the same timing. Well, it's the drive to zero campaign has been going a while. And the drive to zero campaign, it's hard to it's hard to imagine how much damage that has done. I think morally it's a it's it's really a very interesting and probably quite righteous thing to say. 
But what's happened is practically is that we're hiding a lot of information and we believe every time somebody dies or we have a bad accident, the accident happened because the organization wasn't driving to zero. When in reality, what, what I started to notice is these organizations were busting their butts to get to zero. They really wanted to get to zero. The problem wasn't a lack of desire of getting to zero. The problem was is they became so fixated with the zero that they forgot about the, the things that you put in a system to actually control the energy. And that's when, we, that's when this guy, Steve Scott, who's amazing, you should talk to him, actually. He, he, he sort of sits down and says, you know, what we ought to ask them is when something fails, not if, when something fails, what is it you count on to not die? And if we go out into the workforce and we make these little learning teams and we ask them, what controls matter the most to you? When, when this fails, what do you lean on to not die? And we identify those controls. Then we ought to go in and say, are those enough? And so we have a mixture of the expert, right? Because those are people who understand sort of resilience and safety and the system and compliance and all those things. And the workers who are really the experts. And we started to identify really what were these critical controls, these essential controls. And then we started looking at Jim Joy, who, who'd been doing this work in Australia. And we started realizing, wow, this is really about managing controls. So I think, well, I guess I should write a book on this because I waited for other people to write it, but nobody was writing it. So I got together my little ideas in my head and, and put together this fatalities book. And it was so interesting to me because when I searched for books on workplace fatalities, there really weren't any. I mean, there, there, there were some documents from government agencies, but nobody specifically was talking about fatalities. And I think the reason that is, Jay, is because we were seeing fatalities on the pyramid. We were seeing fatalities as kind of a super accident. And what we were realizing is that the things that hurt people aren't the same things that kill people. And fatalities aren't a super accident. Fatalities aren't on the pyramid. The pyramid's kind of dumb. What fatalities are is really a, 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 a catastrophic anomaly, a, 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 an outlier, a, 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 some kind of weird event that happened in such a way that there were no safeguards in place to actually reduce the consequence of this anomalous event, this catastrophic event. And that really put us in a position where we started looking at, I started looking at fatalities completely differently than I'd ever looked at them before. Um, I started seeing fatalities really as, as anomalies, the coin flip. That's why the coin flip metaphors in that book so much. Um, they're, they're outliers. They're, they're anomalous events that are created by a very system that, that is created to not have anomalous events. And that when we have them, we, we just had a complete lack of safeguards. I mean, we, they failed catastrophically because there was nothing to stop them from failing catastrophically. Now, do you feel that, do you feel that this book has enough information in there for people to realize that it's not a super failure that causes? No. The, well, hmm. I, 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 that's a good question. I think it has, a, it starts the conversation by no means is this book the end of the conversation. This is, a, this is the first book out on the topic and it's very controversial. I mean, it's still very controversial. There are people who, who really think I'm crazy and yet 
I've been able to sort of experiment with these ideas in big organizations that kill people. And we've kind of stopped killing them. Well, the interesting part that comes out of this book, too, is that right at this point, you have the five principles of human and organizational performance. But this book, in return, adds a sixth principle. Tell me more. What do you mean tell you more? You're the one, when you do the training at that time that that one came out, there was a sixth principle. So what was it? Um, about the safeguard saves, saves lives. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, now we really debate. Yeah, that's true. We really debated whether that principle should be there or not. And, 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 and maybe it should be. I mean, I, that's the great thing about this, this whole area is, is the principles are just, I mean, the five principles book, those are just, that's just a rehash, a little bit of an adjustment, a little bit of a change, certainly a big change on the end one. But that's just a rehash of the original info five. <laughs> and that book, the only reason I wrote five principles, uh, I can't even believe how it's sold. That's amazing. No, but we're going to get to five principles, but I'm just trying to figure out why was there a sixth principle in workplace fatalities and then one you're teaching the class. But now we'll get to five because we're definitely going to get to five because that, that's a big question there. But right. why Why did you add the sixth at the time? Well, I think for emphasis, right? Because, because I needed to shock. I, somehow I need to shock people into the belief that, um, that, well, I mean, the, the big message is, is these are anomalous events and the things that hurt people, which we track with incredible accuracy, are not the things that matter. The things that matter are when you do this work, do you have the right controls in place? And what's amazing to me is that it completely changed the way I thought about stop work. So I can tell you right now, I've always thought stop work was, was retrospective and kind of morally, morally separating. Stop work authority basically gives management the ability to take a moral high ground, right? And so it's kind of offensive. It's always been offensive to me. What's amazing to me is I realize now that stop work's not only offensive, it's wrong. That really what we want to do is put in start work authority. And that's that's kind of what I was going for. That's that's a good question. I, I didn't even think about carrying that sixth principle that I use, at least when I teach the fatality class, into the five principles and making it the six principles. Even <laughs> well, I, I asked the question because I've been through the training of the yeah, workplace fatalities and I was like, I thought it was, and as we go further down, I always was wondering why did it go away? But I can get to that here in a few moments. I, I think because it, I didn't think about it that way. I wrote, I wrote those books in kind of different spaces in my head at least. Okay. So, and I don't think I'm done with the fatality book. I think, I think there'll be another version of that book for sure. Well, well, I to be honest with you, when I was done with workplace fatalities, I always thought that there was going to be a continuation to that book because I don't, yeah. I don't think that it's, it's, it stops at a good beginning place, but yeah. there's a continuation that needs to go with yeah. it. And I think that's what I hope happens, and I really hope the people that listen to this, I hope somebody else takes it on and runs further with it. That's 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 what I hope happens because really I think the book's not about workplace fatalities; it's about essential controls. Now, right now, during this book in particular, workplace fatalities, you change publishers again, but now the publisher is a little bit closer to home because you start your own publishing company. Because yeah, I because I was mad at at the version control stuff on that better questions. And so I wasn't getting the love and care and feeding I wanted from 
the publisher. So I thought, well, I'll just publish it myself. Why not? So are you getting the love, care, and feeding from your from yourself now? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, a little. It's a little better because I have. I certainly have better version control, so that's good. Um, and it was a great experiment. It was fun to publish that book. It was really fun. The the next one is even more fun to publish. Well, the next one is very interesting because now it's li- it's probably about a couple of years before you go from this one to the next one. But you take a different approach. There is not the pre-accident terminology directly on it. Right. It all, and all of a sudden it just goes, the five principles of human performance. Right. But you're right. looking at it from a different point of view. Right. Why did you decide to change how you were viewing the five principles? Because I think we were drifting away from the five principles. And when you say that, what do you mean by that exactly? Do you feel that we weren't trying to stay with the origin story or we were looking at it more than the lives that we changed everything? Trying to bring us back to the basics. Um, But I changed the basics. I simplified them. And and that's because Bob and Andrea and I and and really Mark Yeston, but we we had a big argument around that I didn't see the principles in their classes. they, they, They weren't in their fundamentals class. And I thought, well, I don't think that's good. And then I started looking at other people's fundamentals or their foundations classes, and I wasn't seeing the five principles. I just, people weren't talking about it. And I thought if we drift away from those five principles, that's kind of the core definition of what gave human performance its structure. And not that they're the end-all, be-all. I'm not sure that the end-all, be-all, but those are five principles. Those are five things that we found to be true, and they held up pretty well. Now, I long ago changed Impose fifth principle to leadership response matters. But I, I mean, I, I did that so long ago. I did that 20 years ago. I did that when I was at Los Alamos. So I didn't even, I don't even think of leadership's response as being a new principle. It's, we've had it forever in our stuff. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to reemphasize the importance of those principles back into at least the structure and thinking of the fundamentals class. If he, what was scaring me is I was seeing classes where we, we'd look at gorillas and count Fs, but we wouldn't say, you know, air is just normal. It's, it's not even very interesting. And blame fixes nothing. And sort of aligning our organization so they have feedback loops, learning becomes vital. And that systems actually dictate behavior, that people do things based upon the encouragement or reinforcement of peers, leaders, and subordinates, and that ultimately management's response matters. Well, let me just try to figure this out. Say, for instance, somebody's listening to you and they don't understand what the new view of safety is, because this is a lens that you're saying that you're using, looking at these principles by. Right. What does that mean to you? So the new view of safety is really, I mean, if I gave you the elevator speech, it would be, it's pretty easy to define. I think Decker's done a really good job um, at sort of helping us understand the, the difference between the old view and the new view. And the, the, the traditional view of safety is the worker is the problem to be fixed. And so we go out and actually try to make workers better. And we do that by constraining the workers, by telling workers what to do or what not to do. And we measure safety by the absence of failure. So we measure the zero becomes kind of a part of our discussion. Zero accidents means safe organization. The new view, safety differently, says the worker's not the problem. The worker's actually the problem solver. And because the workers are a problem solver, they're, they're the solution to these problems. We don't constrain workers by telling them what to do or what not to do. We actually ask workers what they need in order to be safe, resilient, and reliable. And in order to do that, we have to redefine safety. Safety is not the absence of a negative. 
Safety is actually the presence of a positive. Safety becomes not the absence of an accident, but the presence of capacity. And when you look at those five principles with that new view, which to be really fair, that new view didn't exist, not in that succinct form. That new view did not exist when the original principles were written. That sort of allows you to re-understand the principles or to reframe them in, in a way that's less directed towards worker behavior and more directed towards system improvement. Now, when you look at that, do you can you say that when you were back doing DOE that you would see that potentially in the future this would change so significantly? No. I could not have predicted that, but only because I'm terrible at predicting the future. <laughs> but also because when we when we originally started in the DOE, human performance to a great extent was kind of an error management program, kind of an error reduction um, or error likely situation management program. And it was really directed at the worker. I mean, if you, when you look at the, at the course handout for that original course, the one I'll find for you, it's it's written towards fixing the worker. Be more careful. Use these tools. Use the star tool. You know, uh, take two minutes. Those are all great tools, but those are all tools that are really aligned towards making the worker perform better. It wasn't until we started understanding that, well, no, wait a minute. We can actually make the system better and remove a lot of the operational goal conflicts that exist in that system and make the system more transparent and actually increase resilience and reliability. We probably will still have as many failures as we've always had because people are fallible. But when we have those failures, the system's going to be much more tolerant of those failures and the failures will have much less consequence. We'll, we'll fail less successfully than we did 20 years ago. So as you look at this now, do you feel that this new view of safety has been adapted by a lot of industries or do you still feel that it's it's not where it needs to be? So I don't think it's where it needs to be, but I'm not sure I understand where it needs to be. I mean, that we're going to learn that as that happens, but it certainly is being, I would tell you that I think the, we've, there, there's a lot of energy behind looking at this new view in lots and lots of industries all over the world it would be really hard to suck this thinking back in. Well, right now, it seems like you're trying to go back to origin to some extent. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a really good way in regards to... Let's not call it origin. Let's call it back to first principles. Okay, so let's say first principles. So this week, you and you know your core group have released something called Hop... What is... Oh my God, I'm going to mess this up real quick. Hophub.org. And you're giving... You're giving all of your information away. I was talking about PDF slides. Yeah, you imagine it, all the resources are there. Yeah, now, that, that hasn't been something that we've seen a lot. I mean, we'll say that people give their stuff away, but you are you guys have decided to centralize one location, one stop shop. You go there and everything's there. What was the decision behind that? Because why wouldn't you? Well, a lot of people are trying to, we'll say, quote unquote, market their own versionality of this. Yeah, but you all of a sudden said, "No, we're taking what we've what we've been doing in books, what we've been doing in presentations, what we've been teaching throughout the years, because that's really what it is." And you said, "Consortium, here, take it." Yeah, because the ideas, uh, arguing and forming and thinking about the ideas, is way way more fun than writing the product. 
The product is just a result of the thinking. So, so what you, why would you, I mean, it's, so nobody, nobody's had their own new ideas. Everybody's idea are a twist on somebody else's idea. And so we don't own those ideas. So if we don't own those ideas, how can we, how can we sell? How can we monetize them? Why wouldn't you just give them away? I mean, because they're just ideas. I mean, and my hope is, is that if we give them away, then other people will take them and they'll do great things with them and they'll give them away again. And I, and I bet that's what happens. I mean, that's, that's always what happens with good change is good change isn't something that you own. Good change is something that you give away. Right. And, and the great thing about giving everything away is that you're giving it away. I mean, you don't have to worry about intellectual property or lawyers or who's, you know, who owns this slide or who owns that slide. Who cares? It's the ideas that matter. And so giving the ideas away makes us stronger and it makes us more interesting and it makes us more attractive. Well, so, I, mean, I mean, I agree with what you're saying, but you have to understand there's also some people out there that have taken some of this information and they have marketed it as this, their own thing. There's even organizations that are out there, and I'm just going to reference this real quick. And I had told you this briefly in the past in a side conversation that there's people that have taken your stuff and put it behind a paywall where you yeah. have to pay to get there to get your information. That it, must be incredibly, it, that must be horribly disappointing when you pay and you're like, oh crap, it's just this. Right, and, and, I, don't, and I don't think you have anything to do with it on how it was set up, but I just find it interesting that, I'm not going to say that you're affecting other people's businesses, but other people have decided to go down that route where they're selling it and you're giving it away for free. And I understand that you want to change the, the industry and have that impact for people to use that information and change things. Now, as you're giving this away for free and you know that these things are going to change because there's going to be other independent thinkers that come that same direction and they start looking at it, what do you see that the outcome might end up being overall? I don't know. I mean, I I, I don't, I mean, I think everyone can do what they want to do, right? If you want to start a business and sell it, that's fine. If you can sell it, that's great. I mean, I, I support it. I want everyone to be successful. Um, that's, but, but at least for for me and really for the guys in the little hop up thing that we put together. And that's just, I mean, we just kind of came together as friends and put that together. We just decided the best way to handle it is just give it away for free. Um, I don't know. It's, it's really, it's funny. It's not that big a deal to us. Well, you, you see, it's funny because you have to understand that there's other consultants that are out there that look at it and go, you, the person that's really top tier because the four of you guys are very well known within this industry and you gave away your stuff for free, which is unheard of. It's almost like listening to when Bill Gates gave away his money. It's almost, it's almost has that same kind of impact on how other people are looking at it. I would say it's actually incredibly different. Than that. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean, because you're giving away your intellectual property. The thing I would come back to you and tell you is that we never owned it to start with. And so it's, it's not like we're giving stuff away. Like we said, okay, here we go. It's all free. It's, it was never ours to start with. And so we're just sort of passing it on, you know, here's, here's what we're looking, here's what we're thinking about and, uh, and see what you think about. And the great thing is that, you know, it'll, it'll change again. I mean, all that stuff that's up there is probably not, it's, I, I promise you, it's not the latest version of my fundamentals class because I had to redeck my fundamentals class to meet the new five principles because too many people are saying, well, why'd you write a book about five principles and they're not in your class? So they're never in my class. 
Well, Todd, I really do appreciate you actually taking this retrospect of your book career so far, and especially now that we actually have recently released them all on audio on audio format. Yeah, it's and I, fun. I never, no one's ever asked me these questions. I never, I never have these conversations. Well, because you're always the interviewer, not the interviewee. So that's that's probably why this doesn't happen. Anyway, you got me there. You're on to me there. So. Well, I appreciate you actually doing this. Now, I know that you do not have a website, but you refuse to do a website. And I guess that's more power to you. But do you have any conferences that are coming up that people can come and see you live and in living color? I'm sure I do. I don't. I, I don't. I know there's something in New Zealand. And, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. I can't even really tell you. I can tell you when I'm doing Monday next. I don't think that far ahead. <laughs> So I'm not, I'm not, that's not that good. I don't have that. I should have had that ready. I don't have anything ready. Okay. Well, no, no big deal. Well, Todd, I do appreciate you coming on to Safety FM. Thanks, man. <laughs> Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate all the work you do, too. Thanks for helping promote this. Maybe some people will listen to those Audible books. So no, you're you're going to have some people actually do this and listen to this stuff. I can tell yeah. you that. Thank you, man. <laughs> The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. SafetyFM.com.